Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Earlier this week, NAHU released our general talking points that Capitol Conference attendees will use in their meetings with their member of Congress. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, we review these talking points and what you can expect if you register for the first ever virtual Capitol Conference. Leading up to Capitol Conference, the Healthcare Happy Hour will feature episodes on each topic with more in-depth information to prepare you for your congressional meetings. So first of all, a virtual Capitol Conference? How is that going to work? Yes, Dan. So due to the pandemic, we're holding our Capitol Conference virtually. I know so much of the appeal about it is to come to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and meet with your member of Congress. But this year, we're going to bring it all to you. We have a great lineup of different policymakers and thought leaders on all of our major issues that we're going to be able to provide and actually increase the amount of content that we're providing through the virtual format. And then members of Congress are used to meeting virtually right now. So because of the pandemic, only members of the media and congressional staff are able to go into the Capitol building and congressional office building. So we've been doing our meetings with them virtually. That's how we will help you all to set them up as well. And if you're wondering how virtual lobbying during Capitol Conference will work specifically, I hosted a webinar earlier this week for state and local legislative chairs that you can watch if you're confused. It is on NAHU.org under the webinar section. So let's review these talking points. First off, what is the importance of these talking points? Why do we distribute them? Well, Dan, we want to make sure that when members of NEHU go to meet with their members of Congress, that the members of Congress are receiving the same message from NEHU members, that we're all speaking with one voice. We do a lot as staff here in Washington, D.C. to make sure that NEHU's position is heard on several issues. And for you to go and meet with your member of Congress is a great way to amplify that foundation that we've made with that member of Congress. So making sure that you are backing up that position and we're all giving the same message is so important. Now, although I'm emphasizing speaking with one voice and making sure our messages are succinct, we are providing our tailored talking points as we've done over the past couple of years so that your talking points with your member of Congress at the top will align with the policies that are going to be the most important to that member of Congress and most aligned with our positions. We wanna set you up to have really successful meetings with your members of Congress. So we're not going to send you into Bernie Sanders or AOC's office to talk about our opposition to the public option or Medicare for all. That just won't be a successful meeting. So instead you're going to go in and talk about 
the importance of employer-sponsored coverage and some of the other market stabilizers that we have. And we have the same on the other side of the aisle as well. So we're all using the same message, but we're just being very articulate in what we are choosing to what we are choosing to discuss with specific offices. When might NAHU members expect those tailored talking points to be released? So the general talking points, which are appropriate to be able to start your homework and review some of the priorities that we're going to have during this year's Capital Conference, those are already posted online. And the first week of February, the state legislative chairs should be receiving the tailored talking points from NEHU, and it's their responsibility to distribute those out to the members of NEHU that will be attending from their state and for their specific districts for their member of Congress. Normally, we do that in person at the regional meetings during Capitol Conference when we are hosting it here in Washington, D.C., but of course, since this is a virtual conference, we are going to be sending them out electronically. It's also important to note that our talking points are based on what we're going to be discussing with members of Congress and the type of legislation that they'll be working on over the next two years. There are a number of provisions and policy priorities that NEHU is working on specific to what is going to happen on the regulatory side. This is rulemaking that's done by the agencies of the government and things like the recent broker transparency legislation that passed as well as surprise billing and others. These are all items that need action on the agency level. And so while you won't see those on your talking points, because your talking points are specific to what Congress can take action on legislatively, please know that we are working diligently with the agencies through the rulemaking process to be able to impact the rules on things like broker transparency and surprise billing. Again, while you won't see it on your talking points, it is still very much a priority for NEHU. It just isn't something that Congress is able to impact at this moment. So we want to make sure that your meetings are focused on what Congress is focused on. So let's finally get into the talking points. What are some of the most important issues included in this year's talking points? Well, I don't think that we can go into an office without talking about COVID-19 and the pandemic. It just is something that is so important for economic relief. And we are asking a few things. We are asking for the PPP loan, that Paycheck Protection Program loan, be extended. That as the pandemic continues, Congress acts in kind to extend the PPP loan programs. Last year, we saw some large gaps in time frame between issuing the first round of PPP and then some of the most recent rounds that went out in December. We want to make sure we don't have large gaps like that going into 2021 if these funds are still needed. And right now, with the outlook, it seems as though they will be needed for quite some time as businesses try to come back together and restructure and build themselves back up. From that perspective, the PPP loans allow employers to be able to continue to pay their employees, as well as be able to keep them on their employer-sponsored coverage. So for us, this is very much a part of economic stability, as well as making sure that continued health insurance coverage is offered to employees throughout this pandemic. To that end, we also recognize that 
some employees have experienced a very different type of employment throughout this year. They may have variable hours that they never experienced before just because of differences in when the business was able to have their employees working. They may have been laid off. They may have been furloughed. And these terms aren't all being used the same across the board. So another one of our concerns is employer reporting. And even though we know employers are doing this right now and starting their paperwork for 2020, we wanna make sure that there is some type of safeguard put in place so that if an employer in good faith provides the employer reporting for 2020, and because of no mistake of their own, doesn't identify someone correctly because of these changes and how they're doing their hours and how confusing it can be already without just the pandemic, that those employers aren't held responsible with fines. So we're asking for some relief on employer reporting as well when it comes to the pandemic. Aside from COVID-19, what other market stabilizers is NAHU advocating for? Well, here we're also talking about employer reporting, but in a different manner. As many of you know, NAHU has supported a prospective employer reporting system so that employers are reporting at the beginning of the year what they're planning on offering instead of going back and reconciling at the end of the year. We're also concerned with some of the data that employers are collecting for the current employer reporting system with social security numbers for dependents that don't even have coverage under that employer and other things that just make the compliance for in much higher than it needs to be. We'd like to see the employer reporting system simplified. Another piece on the employer side is preserving the employer tax exclusion. Now, the employer tax exclusion is the provision that allows employees to deduct from their income the funds that employers provide to them in the form of health insurance benefits. This lowers the employee's taxable income and also lowers it on the side of the employers when they're doing their FICA taxes. We believe that capping the employer exclusion or taxing it would be the highest increase on middle-class Americans that we've seen in quite some time. Currently, over 175 million Americans receive their health insurance by employer-sponsored coverage, and we don't want to see that trivialized by no longer allowing for the employer tax exclusion and the benefits that that provides so many employers to be able to offer this coverage. We're also looking at ways when we're talking about the ACA, which touches on things like employer reporting and others, we're asking for Congress to finally take action to fix the family glitch by clarifying that employee eligibility for affordable coverage does not extend to family members if there is not an affordable employer contribution to dependent coverage. All too often, spouses are denied a subsidy or access to affordable coverage because their spouse's employer offers dependent coverage, but it's that determination of affordability is based on the employee's offer of coverage, not what the employer is offering to the spouse, which oftentimes can be quite unaffordable, especially for the bottom line of income. So we think it's time for Congress to finally fix the family glitch. And lastly, for some of these market stabilizers, looking at the cost of expensive prescription drugs and eliminating impediments to drugs getting to market, having Congress consider methods used by other countries, such as the International Pricing Index. We know Congress took quite a few steps towards trying to do something during the last congressional session, and it's time that they finally do something to control these prices.
Let's talk Medicare for all. One of the biggest threats facing employer-sponsored coverage and the private market overall. What are we telling congressional offices about single payer? Well, most importantly, there's a misconception that Medicare for all would still allow the employer market to survive, which is not true. Under the current Medicare for all proposals, it would do away with employer-sponsored coverage and threaten the coverage of beneficiaries that are already on Medicare. Adding everyone else onto Medicare would completely change the type of coverage Medicare beneficiaries currently have and would really threaten their access to care and cost of care as well. The cost of Medicare for all is currently price tagged at $32 trillion over 10 years, which means an average tax increase of $24,000 per household. And at a time like this, with the financial viability of our current Medicare program already in question, and also the finances of individuals across the country that are suffering due to the pandemic, this really isn't a time where something like this is affordable for the average household. Medicare for all would also reduce the standards of quality and access that Americans currently enjoy in their healthcare by creating delays in medical treatments, tests, and access to care. This happens because many doctors are unable to treat as many patients for the amount that they would be paid under one of these systems. And so some doctors would drop out of the system and hospitals would be put under pressure with a global budgeting process, meaning that they have one budget to provide for care throughout an entire year. And if they use up that budget too soon, then they can't provide care for the rest of the year. What about the public option? The public option could also destabilize current insurance markets by creating an elevated playing field. And what I mean by that, Dan, is that when the insurance providers are providing plans and coverage with rates that are so low that private markets can't compete with them, it prices the private carriers out of the market and all we're left are plans on the public option, which have those problems I talked about earlier with trouble with access to physicians and others. There's also the concern that this could put more than a thousand rural hospitals at risk of closure by using Medicare provider reimbursement rates. These hospitals are dependent on a mixture of patient payment methods from private carriers as well as Medicare and Medicaid. And to require them to only allow reimbursement on the Medicare rate would prevent them from allowing to provide many services in the rural areas that the hospitals are currently serving. In the Medicare space, there are two primary issues that we're focusing on this year, COBRA as creditable coverage and the two midnight rule. Can you go into detail on these issues? The first is NEHU has been working to have COBRA treated as creditable coverage for Medicare for quite some time. As many of you know, if someone ages into Medicare, but for some reason goes onto COBRA, then when they do switch from COBRA to Medicare, they are slapped with a penalty that stays with them for life. Since COBRA is treated as creditable coverage as employer-sponsored coverage, then we think it should be treated as creditable coverage when they leave COBRA and go on to Medicare. One of the other big issues with Medicare is observation status. Currently, you go into the hospital for treatment and you are treated as observation status. Medicare doesn't reimburse at the same rate as they do if you're an inpatient. There's also issues that if you're on observation status, it adversely affects beneficiaries' costs for medication while hospitalized. So it impacts the costs that would be covered by Medicare for 
prescription drugs under Part D rather than Part B, adding undue burden on the beneficiary. And oftentimes, if you're under observation status, you're having very similar treatments, if not the same, as when you're under inpatient status. So instead of having observation status, we just need to do away with the policies around observation status that are not uniform and can leave beneficiaries with unexpected out-of-pocket costs and have these patients treated as inpatient status. It is now time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? This week, we are toasting to the new administration that was sworn in on Wednesday. We are looking forward to having their nominees confirmed by the Senate so that we can get started on our work with the agencies and the rulemaking that they have planned out before them for this year. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.